Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Gene Chuang. Gene, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. All right. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Gene Chuang. I'm a recovering CTO and a techie which means uh, currently I am uh, on boards, uh, advisor, uh, advisory boards. I invest in startups. I'm actually in a very interesting uh, syndicate called Hyphen Syndicate. We invest in uh, AAPI or Asian American Pacific Islander uh, founders. So, uh, you know, kind of helping out uh, the entrepreneurial community of uh, underrepresented uh, uh, entrepreneurial group. I'm also on the board of Innovate Pasadena. Uh, that's how we got connected uh, via Eric Herring uh, for this interview. And uh, I am also a mentor for Mucker Capital, which is one of the uh, more well-known uh, LA-based uh, incubators. Founder of Mucker, uh, Will Sue, fellow uh, YP. He, he was the chief product officer when I was there at uh, at and Interactive YP. And then uh, I've been, so I've been in the tech business for for over 25 years. I've done startups. I've done large companies. I've been in Overture, GoTo actually GoTo.com, Overture, uh, Yahoo acquisition, uh, Rocketship, where we created a basically paid search or search marketing. Uh, you youngs uh, now know as a Google AdWord uh, <laughs> or Google AdSense, a blatant copy of GoTo and uh, Overture sponsor search. Um, I've been at at and Interactive uh, with you, David, uh, back when it was called at and Interactive and now YP. I ran the mobile team, the, the beginnings of the mobile team uh, back in 09 when, when the App Store just launched with, on the iPhone 3. Uh, so, so those were fun times. Yeah. I've worked at Chegg, um, uh, which I, I think a lot of, especially young developers coming out of school know about, uh, textbook rental. I helped integrate homework help. It was an acquisition here in pa uh, Pasadena, a little company called Cramster, helped uh, integrate Cramster into Chegg to become Chegg homework help. And uh, I was uh, been CTO for a few companies, uh, oversea.net and downtown. Beachbody, uh, where I ran the new uh, OpenFit team, OpenFit app that uh, we launched, and uh, most recently I was uh, CTO of Pvolve, which is another uh, fitness streaming app. So uh, uh, I guess in my last three years, uh, I've been kind of focused on streaming, uh, kind of moving away from uh, ad tech and into uh, streaming, uh, which is definitely a very interesting space. Nice, yeah. So definitely a lot of a lot of experience. Uh, I know, I know, sort of more towards the beginning of that arc, you were a, an engineer yourself. I know you've led teams, and then of course you've had a lot of experience as a CTO and an advisor at even even higher levels. Um, would you, when you think about success as an engineer, is your arc what you consider to be? like what, what a lot of engineers aspire to, or, you know, when engineers think about their career, like, are there other paths that you, you think are really appealing that you could have gone, gone down instead? So, so actually to close the loop and come full circle this year, uh, after I left Pvolve at the beginning of the year, I, uh, got into coding again. Uh, I, I picked up Python <laughs> And, uh, you know, you're on our CTO Slackers group. I coded a uh, AI chat bot, uh, uh, answer bot, if you will, the, the Sal 
SAL 9000 chatbot using Python, a couple of NLP libraries, uh, learned uh, GCP. Uh, so kind of gotten back into the game. Um, and, you know, so before that, uh, when I, I think it was back in 2005, uh, when I was promoted into, uh, from an individual contributor to a director at Yahoo, uh, I kind of took a hiatus, if you will, or a sabbatical from, from coding. And I didn't really code, at least not for companies, uh, from 2005 to, to just beginning of this year. So that's over 15 years. Before that, I was uh, yeah Java J2E. This was when Java ruled the world. <laughs> J2E EJBs, uh, Enterprise Java Beans. Uh, front end there's like Swing for desktop and uh, Tag Libs and uh, JSPs and Dy ATG Dynamo and all that fun stuff. What what I would say is like uh, in my career, I've I've taken a couple pivots. I actually graduated from UCLA, uh, go Bruins in 96 with a degree in biochemistry. And I was pre-med, uh, I didn't get into med school. I did a year of uh, research at City of Hope. I did HIV research, uh, did a uh, viral uh, research and gene therapy research, we, uh, which is a little interesting side note, we were doing uh, uh, ribozyme gene therapy, which is uh, used a lot of mRNA technology. So, oh, cool. so, you know, I don't want to go too much into my vaccine spiel, but for people who are afraid that, oh, mRNA vaccine is such a new technology. No, we've been doing it for 30 years, <laughs> yeah, 20, 30 years. It's, uh, you know, we, we stand on shoulder of giants in terms of creating this vaccine. This wasn't just created by some crazy president who's decided to accelerate, <laughs> <laughs> accelerate research in six months. No, that, that doesn't happen <laughs> in real life. I did research for a year, uh, you know, so I paid my dues to humanity. Didn't like research at all because it was very repetitive and it takes years for your papers to publish. You got to go through peer review, all that good stuff. It's not like you just Google something and all of a sudden, Eureka, you, <laughs> you have a Google degree and an expert in something. So science doesn't work that way. Science takes a long time. Uh, I, I tend to uh, want instant gratification and uh, research wasn't it. So, um, you know, I kind of look back and uh, when I was young, I've been programming since I was seven. Uh, you know, hosted BBSs uh, in, in my in my junior uh, high years. In high school, I took years of Pascal. And at college at UCLA, I did take a year of PIC10 series, which is uh, C++, uh, programming and computing. So one year into research, I, I decided, you know what, research is not for me. I don't want to get go back and get a PhD. So let's try doing something I used to love uh, doing as a hobby. Uh, and this was in 97. Netscape just IPO and I go, holy shit, there's a potential uh, of getting paid <laughs> well to do something that I love to do. Uh, so I made a pivot and uh, my first job was actually at a financial company, Wilshire Associates in Santa Monica. I did C++ development uh, for their fixed income portfolio management system. And uh, then did that for a couple of years, went to startups and then, and then, and then jumped on the uh, goto.com overture rocket ship. And uh, so I did this for almost 10, uh, eight, eight or nine years as an uh, individual contributor or IC before I was actually literally, it was like six months after uh, Yahoo acquisition. My boss at that time, uh, Joseph SS, uh, he is now the CTO of uh, OpenTable. Uh, he one day told me, Gene, an, an, one of my teams that I run uh, the director just uh, resigned, gave his resignation. And so I have a, a team of 25 engineers. 
what do you think about managing? <laughs> and, and, wow. and I was like, I hate managing. <laughs> I hate meetings. I hate, you know, uh, talking bullshit. And, you know, I just want to uh, sit and code. But Joseph said, you know what, uh, give me 24 hours. Think about it. Uh, let me know tomorrow. And so I thought about it and I realized that one of the things that, that interests me is always challenging myself and I'll always like seeing what's out there or overextending myself and seeing what I'm capable of doing and adjusting. And so what I did eight years ago, pivoting from biomed and medicine to, to technology, uh, now I see another opportunity to, to go from optimizing code, uh, what I call optimizing lines of code to now optimizing uh, humans to to engineers to to organizations. So I said, all right, well, why not? So that's how I made my pivot. And literally overnight, I decided, okay, I'm gonna really dive into managing and uh, uh, and and leading and not code at all. So I almost like just forced myself not to code cold cold turkey. Right. So so why yeah? What what made you decide to do that? Did you? I mean wouldn't i know i know many people who make that transition think that continuing to be able to code will will help them right but it sounds like you, yeah. you knew that that was not the case yeah because i i think i i like to like you know put my 110 percent into something and i know that at least at the beginning i thought like managing people and and you know social science is is very different from computer science uh at least that's what i thought then and so I wanted to give it my 110% and kind of learn the arts and not get distracted. And I, I've also seen people who kind of do both and not really do both well, uh, kind of like, you know, leader, uh, you know, uh, player coach or, 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 you know, uh, lead engineer slash manager. Um, so I think that that was kind of my main uh, component. And then as, as my career progressed, as uh, that was a senior manager and I got promoted to director and then eventually VP and, and CTO, you just learn more and more on the business side that you realize there, and you just get so busy that I just never had time to really dive back into coding, uh, at least not for the company. I, you know, I dabble a little bit still, you know, I keep, keep myself fresh, make sure the kids don't code circles around me and I, I not know what I'm talking about. But that's not the the high leverage activity for the the company. That's, that's right. That's right. I, I would say, uh, you know, and I, and I do some architecture and design um, um, for company and and code review. But I I, you know, have not put code into production for like a good ten years. Uh, and uh, I did wind up doing some consulting, wrote some Java stuff back in the early two thousand tens, but nothing for for the companies I worked for. And 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 so to to kind of go back to it, I mean, is is was there another career arc or trajectory that that would have been appealing to you like had you said you know had you stuck to your guns and said no i hate meetings i don't want to manage people yeah. like would there have been another way to success or is the you know ic tech lead director vpe cto path yeah. the you know is that the is that the best one i i strongly believe it's up to each individual. Uh, there's no right answer there. Uh, for me, what turns out to be the right answer is if you see, uh, you know, basically when I semi-retired at the beginning of this year from, from my last job as CTO, uh, you know, I took a week off and then decided, hey, uh, I want to build a, a bot and I want to learn a language. Uh, you know, I've been doing Java. 
I managed Ruby on Rails team. Uh, didn't like Ruby on Rails. I, I think it's more of a cult than a language. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a front end person at all, so I don't want to touch JavaScript. So you know, Python was was just becoming spectacularly popular, uh, as you can see from our, um, our our CTO language surveys I've done for the past three years. And also it has a lot of scientific libraries like NLP and stuff like that. So I literally just took a week and learned Python, GCP. GCP has a lot of uh, this Google Cloud. Uh, uh, they have, uh, I've been using AWS uh, for the past 10 years. Uh, I've done some DevOps, so I wouldn't say I haven't programmed. Uh, I've done some DevOps stuff, but GCP is also a first time learning. And uh, Within a week, I had a, a bot uh, up and running. So that tells me that even though I don't program for 10 plus years, it's almost like learning a bike uh, and then you know not riding a bike for 10 years. You can always get back to it. So to me, uh, languages could change, frameworks could change, um, but if you really have that uh, that fundamentals and, and, and that heart and, and passion for it, you can always get, go back to programming. So. So that to me means that I did make the right choice in pivoting to management in that I could always pivot back to coding, mm -hmm. especially because maybe it's because I've been hanging around with enough smart engineers, which I had just amazing career you know, working at Yahoo. I worked with my last boss at Yahoo, for example, is Brian Acton. He went on to found WhatsApp. He's, you know, worth $10 billion now. He's still coding, right? He's still doing, he's doing Android development for, for Signal next uh, project after getting out of Facebook. Uh, I've worked with an uh, iOS engineer at Chegg who went on to create uh, Tinder. Uh, he's the creator of Swipe Left, Swipe Right. Worked with uh, Doug Cutting at, at, at Yahoo, uh, who created Hadoop at the time. So just being surrounded by amazing engineer, I think really uh, um, uh, just gave me uh, the back of my mind that someday I could always uh, want to get back to that. So, it, I mean, you did mention, I guess, like another uh, arc, which is that these these engineers um, became founders, uh, maybe went more on their own in the entrepreneur uh, space. I mean, when you're when you're in one on ones with engineers and and you're interested in their career growth, I mean, what are the types of of pathways that 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 you see as as open to them? Like, what should be what should they be thinking about when they think about the future? Yeah, I think uh, you know going going on your own, entrepreneuring is is always out there. But I think I think it's important to have some fundamentals and fundamentals in terms of programming. And the best way I got those was I was uh, again fortunate to look, to work in uh, the rocket ship that is GoTo.com, where we had GoTo. This was in 01. By the time I joined, I was already doing half a billion in revenue. And, you know, when it, when it was sold to Yahoo a couple of years later, uh, three or four years, three years later, it was doing, you know, over, over $2 billion in revenue. Uh, the serving side was, was, was uh, written originally in Mod Pearl. So we had like some of the brightest Mod uh, Pearl, uh, Pearl mongers uh, in the world working there. We had, uh, I work on the advertising system, which was called DTC, and that was written in Java. We had amazing Java folks. So, uh, you know, I always was able to learn. I think the best way I learned was literally copying other people's code, <laughs> just looking at other people's code and copy. This was before yeah, Stack Overflow. I think Overflow. a lot of us did, yeah. Right, this is before Stack Overflow, right? So this is just natural Stack Overflow, right? <laughs> just, you just yep. look and, uh, you know, this is before GitHub. So you look at a, a subversion, people's, uh, or CSV, uh, CVS, 
<laughs> and 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 looked at her code and you copied it. And or on the front end view source. <laughs> same here. Uh, view source uh, for front end and you just copied it. Uh, although other you know one, one of my versions uh, reason why I, I I shied away from front end just it just front end code is just so spaghetti like. <laughs> that copying <laughs> copying spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, maybe spaghetti. maybe yours is, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's always there's these things that never change. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm a VI guy. I always get into fights with Emacs folks. I'm a backend guy. I always get fights with front end. So. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um. So yeah. So so I, I kind of because because you have you know, so much experience leading these teams and being part of these organizations. And even now uh, leading, you know, an or starting an organization with, with so many CTOs, your perspective is is so wide. You've seen uh, so many engineers and, and so many different, um, I guess, uh, leaders. But sticking to the engineers, um, I'm just like really curious what, what growth and development looks like to you. Like, for example, um, you know, certain engineers, uh, can be really productive, and maybe that's because they have a lot of alignment with with a particular company. And so, you know, you you take you know take an engineer out of this company and you put them in another, and suddenly they're much more productive. And if they right. go to another company, maybe they're a lot less productive. But I think you'd probably believe that that there are such things as 10x engineers. What like if an engineer is listening to this and they they don't think that they're a 10x engineer, is there anything that they can do about it, or is it just you know, maybe go find another, you know, another career or something. Like, sure. How do you view that? Um, so personally, I, I kind of view myself as a 5X engineer. I've uh, definitely done my share of, of you know, 48-hour hackathons and, and, and saving the company in terms of uh, launching products. I'm not a 10Xer in that I've, I've, I've worked with 10Xers, you know, the, the Brian mm -hmm. Actons of the world where they're just, just amazing. Uh, you know, building entire, you know, WhatsApp on, on Erlang. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, those are true 10X engineers. And not, you know, what, uh, you know, just, just looking at bell curves and look, you know, having, uh, you know, manage hundreds of, uh, uh, if not thousands of engineers, you know, uh, with, with your bell curve, most people stay in, are in the middle. Uh, you know, you're, you're only going to, your, your unicorns, your 10Xers, uh, there are a small handful of people that you'll ever work with uh, in your career. So not everybody's going to, you know, win the, the uh, the mental or, or computer science uh, innate lottery and and be a unicorn or a 10xer, uh, but that's not to say you you can't be productive. And this again, I think uh, goes back to and I'm I'm sorry if I, I realize now that I didn't fully answer your question uh, or at least I didn't and finish my my statement about learning the fundamentals, working in, being able to work in a team setting. Uh, a lot of uh, and I, and I I use the term in a semi derogatory uh, term, a difference between engineer and a hacker. A hacker could hack. A hacker could 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 produce a crap load of code and launch something, and it works for ten users. Uh, but of course, it will crash under load. Uh, you know, uh, you know, once you get over ten users, or a hundred users, or a thousand users. Uh, hackers' code uh, aren't communal. Uh, they don't have documentation because you know, uh, you know, one of the greatest uh, comeback I, I I heard from engineer who. Who I asked, you know, uh, do you document your code? Is uh, my code is self-document or uh, self-documenting? Uh, 
he was a Rubyist, so I'm just <laughs> putting my, my, my little slam on, on, on Ruby folks. My code is self-documenting, right? So these, these are the things that separates a hacker, I think, from an engineer. Uh, and that's the ability to work in a team setting, the ability to work to scale, uh, to scale beyond yourself. Um, and I think these are all very important lessons uh, to learn. Uh, and, and hence, I, I strongly encourage all uh, junior engineers to have the opportunity, even if it's not their first job, to, to work in at least a mid-size to large-size company where you have a chance, opportunity to work in teams of 10 uh, instead of just you know yourself or one or two. Uh, you learn a lot more. You learn a lot more disciplines. You learn about uh, yeah, uh, you know, merging code and documentation and Git flow. Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you manage multiple branches uh, instead of just you know your one branch or everybody's slamming uh, shit into a head or in, in, into trunk. Uh, you learn about CI/CD, about processes, uh, about you know uh, you know unit tests and coverage and and be able to hand off your code so that somebody else can maintain it or to write code as if you're going to be maintaining it for the rest of your life uh, instead of just these one-offs uh, or call a Snapchat code, right? code, code that disappears after one use. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask like what the what that failure mode is that you see when when an engineer is doing something that won't scale. And I assume by by scale, you mean uh, like as the team as the team grows, like as yeah. you know, maybe an engineer was the only engineer or maybe there was two of them. And then now you're at a team size of, let's say, 10, 20, 50, 100. Yep. Like what what are the things that they're doing that that make things go wrong? And and um, yeah, like how do like what kind of pain does that cause? Well, when I mean say scale, I mean actually multiple dimensions. So, yeah, scaling team as the team scales and as well as when the user scales uh, and the organization scales. Uh, so does your code scale? Uh, uh, that that's what I meant across multiple dimensions. And uh, um, I think one of the uh, key skill set an engineer must have is uh, communication. And I think it's just greatly overlooked by a lot of engineers. Oh, I could code. Oh, I know algorithms. Uh, why do I need to communicate? Uh, so it's like everything from being able to document, uh, you know, writing your code so it's legible to be able to communicate your ideas, communicate your architecture, communicate your design, and to be able to um, do that with fellow engineers so you could stand up and defend against your code. And, you know, in the scientific community, uh, you got to defend, uh, defend against your paper and against your thesis statement all the time. Uh, you're not, if your paper doesn't pass peer review, it doesn't get published. That is very different, unfortunately, for, for uh, in, in computer science. A lot of organizations do not have, you know, mandatory code review, peer review. Uh, so code just gets launched into production. And a lot of times, you know, aside from that engine, the, the author, nobody else knows how it works. Uh, so learning to communicate, I think, is, is critical, especially for an engineer that wants to make the, the, the ladder steps to becoming a manager and eventual CTO or as a entrepreneur. Engineers think they could just uh, code like crazy and 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 go and just be you know be their own boss and uh, you know build their own stuff and build their own startup. If they can't communicate, they're gonna uh, come across a lot of roadblocks, including including inability to you know raise money through VC, uh, inability to have business sense. And you know, read the market and read your customers and know what uh, you're launching. 
is uh, is a a good fit, a market fit. Uh, these are all parts of communicating, which is whether it's, uh, you know, reading, reading the room, reading, reading the market uh, to be able to communicate your ideas and, uh, and, and pitch your ideas uh, to BC. So these are all very important uh, skill sets to have, whether you go down the, uh, the, the uh, entrepreneurial path or the uh, management path or the IC path. You could say IC forever, uh, but you still need to be able to communicate to work in a team. Yeah, how, how like if someone stays in the IC path forever, like what does what does growth actually look like then? Sure. Well, for larger companies, there's definitely IC paths. For for large, you know, uh, I, I was at Yahoo uh, until '09, and uh, Yahoo's definitely considered one of the you know big internet companies uh, uh, back in its day heydays. And uh, you have similar structures now at uh, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon. Uh, so forth, where you have different levels, and you have actually parallel ladders between management and and uh, an IC. So I think, uh, uh, for example, when you get to IC, uh, when your level, I don't know, it's like four or five, when you become a senior engineer, there is a parallel path where you can become a manager. Then it becomes senior manager, and at level six, and then and then director, uh, which is level seven, uh, which by that time you're a lead engineer. And then after lead, you, you could be principal engineer and then distinguished engineer uh, and then, you know, highly distinguished ninja engineer or whatever <laughs> <laughs> they call it. But, you know, we had distinguished engineers at Yahoo who are like the Doug Cuttings of the world. Yeah, you, you created Nutch and Lucene and Hadoop. Yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a level 12. Yeah. So, so there's, there's definitely a path down, uh, you know, both. But, you know, if you, you also realize that if you're not a 10Xer, you're not going to get to 12, level 12. Uh, or either as an engineer or as a data scientist, the, those are your typical two uh, paths, uh, scientist or engineer that could get, get you up there. Otherwise, I mean, maybe you should try management. Or if you have a good product sense, uh, there's always, uh, uh, especially with uh, these big internet companies where all the product managers are highly technical, you could definitely cross paths to, 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 to jump, you know, get into the, the, the product management side. And so if someone wanted to stay in IC, how do, does your comment before about communication, does that still hold? Or if they're primarily just, you know, working on their own projects, like they're making their own Hadoop, like right. that's less important. Well, what's interesting is is the all the top distinguished engineers and scientists you know, at big internet companies, you got to write papers and, and patents. And they actually do more researching and writing papers and patents then they do code. So that all involves, you know, good writing skills. You got to be able to write. <laughs> you got to be able to communicate uh, your ideas. So it seems like any any growth uh, trajectory is gonna gonna involve that. So what else? Uh, yeah, what other what what else do you look at when you're looking at engineers that you manage in terms of whether or not they're doing well um, or or not? I would so so I guess. Going back to the the management path, uh, I'm going to say something that is maybe a little controversial, but managers and leaders are are born, uh, not not raised. I find that true like 90% plus of the time. Uh, you could see potential and leadership in in somebody from from very young, and you can, or you could see a lack of potential and leadership in someone from from very young. Uh, our, our CTO uh, at, at 
Yahoo uh, when the name was Zod, uh, Farzad Nazim, but everybody called him Zod, like uh, you know, all, all kneel before Zod. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he had a famous uh, Zod's axiom. Uh, he had 10 things that he said at this big all hands. Uh, he, at, at Yahoo's peak, he was managing over, I think it was like uh, 8,000 engineers. So he had, had this all hands. And basically uh, his first three axioms are people don't change they people become better actors and the third one is under duress uh people revert back to their uh uh, original self and i just find that uh true across the board leaders are are born and they're forged uh you know under uh extreme heat or under stress and uh it's during stress uh times of stress uh whether deadlines or you know ships broken in production and you're we're losing a million dollars a minute uh, you got to get things together. This is where leaders are born. And um, the ability to work through that and to be able to rise and, and to be able to bring the team together uh, and, and, and utilize uh, the resources you have to solve a problem uh, under stress. That's what uh, I think constitutes uh, leaders. And uh, so also as part of, uh, as a experienced manager, what, what, what I find is beginning managers, and I did the same. When I was a beginning manager, I thought, oh, everybody should be mentored the same way. And, and you know, everybody has poten- the same potential and should be mentored the same way. No, that's not the case. You focus on your, your 10 percenters. You focus on your, uh, those will get you the most bang for buck. The top 10%. The top 10%. Because the, the one hour that you put into each of them will gain you 100 hours of productivity, uh, just you know, making up some numbers, uh, versus... Some multiplier on your time. It's a huge multiplier. So it's not just a multiplier for these 10x engineers. It's a multiplier for the mentor who mentors these engineers. So that's, I think that is, uh, they would... Um, will really cement somebody on their career path pretty early. And it's, it's, it's better for somebody to realize what they're good at, what they're not good at, so they could, they could pursue that career path early. Otherwise, it does become a big waste of time for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wind up going back to, to, to you know, uh, going back to the right path that they should be in. So you think that an engineer listening to this would, would know whether that's the, the path for them or not? There's both. Uh, junior engineers, sometimes they don't. Uh, and that's where they have their mentors and their managers and their peers tell them. And yeah, you so got someone it. else can look at them and see yes. the potential. You could, you could definitely tell, you know, when I manage a team of 30 uh, or when I, when I joined, let's say I joined a new company uh, with a team of 30 engineers, I would have one-on-ones with them. And within one or two one-on-ones, and include and, and a lot of times and, and engineers don't not all of them realize it, but in a lot of our one-on-ones, we talk about other engineers. What do you think about your peer? How how easy is he to, uh, or he or she uh, easy to work with? How how is uh, their code? Uh, how responsive are they when their ship breaks at, at two a.m. Uh, and uh, you know they get paged? These get talked about, and and they also get talked about amongst managers. So so it's very easy to spot your stars and it's easy to spot your leaders. And uh, those are the people that uh, we work on. And so, I mean, so, so if you're only concentrating on the 10%, what are you doing with the other 90%? Right. I mean, are you just constantly trying to replace them? And No. Well, you constantly, you, you constantly try to replace the 10%, the, the other 10%, right? The bottom 10, uh, but your 80, but your 80%, um, you kind of just apply some pretty basic path. You know, which was like I said, there's still ways to 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 be productive. Uh, 
uh, when you're in the middle 80%. Learn from each other's code, copy each other's code, or co sorry, copy the 10%, right? If you're, if you're an 80%, the one thing you got to is self-realization that I am not there yet. I'm not at the 10% yet. Hence, I want to copy a 10% coder and not uh, the opposite 10% coder or, or my fellow peers. I can only learn if I learn from somebody better than me. So uh, that is part of that realization. And also learn like, this is what I'm good at. Uh, and it may not be you know, writing 10x code, but I'm very good at DevOps. I'm very good at doing, uh, you know, owning this small piece. It may not be you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of lines of code, but this small piece, this business uh, logic, uh, this thing, I, 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 I know uh, well inside out, I can refactor it, I can make it better. I can make it uh, work well uh, within a service-oriented architecture with other services. Uh, so I will not be the one that breaks uh, come under stress. All these things I think are very good for folks who uh, do not have the, the, the crazy talent to be able to focus, uh, just narrow their scope and focus on what they're good at. I like that, I like that advice. As far as copying the, the 10 percenters, is it, is it just glaringly obvious to anybody listening to this show who the, who the 10 percenters are um, at their companies or? Are yeah, there... when you join a company, you just ask. <laughs> you literally ask your manager, who are the best engineers here? Whose code should I copy? Whose code should I learn from? I like that. And then very, I'll... very straightforward. Yeah. And then go to lunch with them, buy them a beer. How do you how do you get to know where uh, why why is your algorithm so good why why are why are you able to code why are you able to solve problems and, and that's I think at the end of the day the 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 greatest attribute of engineers the ability to solve problem to assess the situation and solve the problem solve the problem quickly and that takes both innate ability as well as learning and experience experience over time you've learned you've you you start to detect patterns and then you send you see patterns. Uh, there's very few problems that are new. They're just variations of, of old. And if um, you've experienced it, it's easier for you to solve it because uh, you take components and pieces that you've seen before. And so that's where you also, yeah, uh, grab a beer with a 10Xer and uh, ask for war stories. They have the best war stories. And it's those war stories that you learn. It's the scars that they have that you learn and uh, become a better engineer. And what are the what are the markers? Let's just say, as a, as a manager, what are the what are the markers of your top ten percent? Like, how do you how do you measure engineers? Um, so I've I've tried all sorts of uh, KPIs before. You know, counting lines of code, uh, counting bugs um, uh, produced in production, code a time to live. You know, going through the CI/CD pipeline. There's all, all these sorts of measurements. I think at the end of the day, you do you you look at quality. Uh, and, and quality is directly proportional to uh, number of bugs introduced by new code. And you kind of keep a mentor, a mental uh, check mark, uh, checkbook, if you will, if not actually uh, record it, code by this engineer and the bugs that it produced uh, upon deployment. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially, you know, under duress, under stress, under project deadlines, the more duress and stress, how, how many or how little bugs are produced. And if bugs are produced, how quickly it gets fixed and addressed. And I think that is actually, because even the best engineers make bugs. No, nobody's perfect. But the best engineers hate to have bugs stay open in production. And they will drop everything to make sure that gets addressed. And I think that is a big uh, difference between a, 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 a high-performing top-end engineer and a regular engineer.
uh, is number of bugs that are live in production uh, caused by him. And it gets to a point where they also do not like other people's bugs. They start fixing other people's bugs too. <laughs> Whereas, you know, somebody who is uh, big into whizbang, oh, I only want to uh, write uh, build features. Uh, that, that to me is actually not a good engineer. Actually, the, the an engineer that only wants to just greenfield exactly. new stuff. Exactly. Mm. Every everybody could do greenfield. Greenfield's easy. <laughs> or 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 only 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 work on you know in in a you know if you do Scrum, uh, where or sprint uh, planning where uh, engineers uh, pick and choose the tickets they want. Uh, look for the engineers only pick whizbang features and not bugs. Right. <laughs> you you want balance or you want an engineer who who wants to, give me the hardest bugs and I'll fix it. And so, so an engineer listening to this, like if they have been only going for for whizbang features, probably because they think that would get them, you know, noticed uh, more in the company. Uh, you think that that probably a little bit better to maybe focus on bugs because that's gonna to make them look better to their their management and who they report. To. I, I would say it, it's easy for a junior. Just uh, well, focus on what you're capable of first of all. You know, don't, don't of course don't tackle something. You know, don't bite off more than you could chew. And of course, a lot of times it does, uh, you know, especially for junior engineers, it, you know, you do want to, you know, knock off a few low hanging fruits, right? Uh, you know, pick some CSS. Uh, so, right. you know, uh, yeah, surface surface level stuff that, that not much is sitting on. Surface levels, uh, fix up, fix this uh, misspelling, so you could get knock a few under your, uh, get a few under, uh, tickets under your wing. It looks like you're, you know, you're 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 having some velocity right. at least uh, for a sprint, but. Uh, but then really pay attention to the product manager of the, spr of the sprint planning, the person who is prioritizing and saying, these are the tickets that are important. These are the tickets and these are the bugs that are most important to me. And me as the product manager, I am representing the company. And so you really want as a junior engineer to align yourself to the priority uh, of the sense. company. And, and the, the easiest way to do that is align yourself with the, the bug priority list. Yeah. And, and yeah. the feature and the feature yeah. priority. I, I think that's I think that's super important. The you know ultimately the, the the software that you're creating it's not for itself. Like it's it's for a user. It's to provide value that then you know feeds back into the company that that lets the company afford to to create more features and fix more bugs and create more value. And so if you lose sight of that, um, that can be a problem. And oftentimes the product right. manager is the person who has their their finger on the pulse uh, and is really thinking about those things and who you probably have a, a more direct line to. So I really like that. Now I'm curious, like flipping this around, you know, what, what do you hate seeing in an engineer, like as a, as a manager, as a leader? I mean, what, what really marks an engineer as someone who, who doesn't have a whole lot of time left in the, in the organization? Yeah, so I think accountability, I, I, I kind of brushed upon this, uh, but accountability is important. You know, we're, none of us are perfect. We're going to introduce bugs. But uh, I just remember when I introduced a bug in a couple of critical launches, like I can't sleep at night until it gets solved. Uh, so I'll pull all nighter to fix it. And uh, you want engineers like that. You don't, you don't want engineers who become complacent. You know, they, they produce so many bugs that it's just, it's just uh, you know, a huge backlog and they can never get to it. Or they, you know, rather prioritize working on the next uh, whiz bang feature instead of uh, fixing or addressing a, a bug. So accountability is important. Always learning is important. Um, and so a corollary to that, always learning because technology always changes. And what the language that's hot now is going to be different in two years. Uh, so the corollary to that is I, I don't like engineers who are too religious 
uh, and I, I kind of mentioned a few cult-ish uh, uh, languages, uh, or at least uh, communities. I think those, they basically uh, write themselves into obsolescence and uh, you always got to be learning. You know, for me, for example, you know, I'm, I'm not a big front end person, but I, I try to get into some React and now uh, TypeScript uh, because at least with TypeScript, yeah, you got, you got casting. So I'm used to, uh, you know, strongly casted language like Java. Okay, uh, we got that with TypeScript. Now, uh, can I, I, I still wouldn't, you know, uh, uh, build a front end in TypeScript or, or React Native and, and put into production for a company, but at least I would uh, learn it. Um, at least I will understand and, and, and understand what, uh, what's the mentality uh, behind a front end engineer and what they do uh, uh, and, and the constraints they have, the resources they have, the uh, uh, resource constraints they have and so forth. So I think that's very important that you're always learning and you never think that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a king or guru at what I do uh, this and that's it. <laughs> And everybody has to bow before me. Have you seen? Have you seen like other, I guess, patterns of of teams that that aren't working well uh, that that you you'd advise people to avoid or like, oh, if this is what's going on, like, kind of watch out. Yeah. Well, fortunate thing uh, these days is, it, uh, and it used to be, you know, early on in my career, you know, you have to stay at a company for four years, right? Uh, uh, otherwise, it'll look bad on your resume, uh, or you're not going to get the full vesting for four year stocks. But that has changed, right? That, that's changed to two years and how it even shortened to even less than two years. And I, I think uh, as an engineer, as you progress through your career, you also have to learn, you know, when, you know, when, when to hold them and when to fold them in terms of the project you're working on, is it viable? The people you're working with, are you still learning from them? If you're the best person in your team, it's time to move on. Uh, you, could, you can't learn from people who do not have as much experience or skill set as you do. So I think you should always be assessing uh, yourself, and which is also, I think, very important for junior engineers to try to work at a big company uh, early on in their career, because it gets harder as, as you grow more, you're uh, you know, stuck to your ways and, and pick up stuff uh, and, and get more experience. You, know, you, you tend to want to either you know, build your own startup or, or work in smaller uh, companies. So that's why I think it's very, very critical to have that big company experience uh, for junior engineers, uh, and, and even if it's done through an internship. Internships are good, although I, I wouldn't say internships are, are the end all be all because on the flip side, as a manager, you love interns because it's you know cheap labor, quote unquote, but it also takes up a lot of your time. So you don't- say cheap in terms of money, but- Yeah, yeah. Not the most finite resource, yeah. Exactly, and, and so you don't, uh, a lot of managers and mentors don't actually spend as much time as they would with an intern as they would with a junior engineer that would be, at least stay for a year. Right. Uh, it's not a good bang for buck uh, for, in terms of uh, uh, investing in, in mentoring. Oh, man. Such good advice. Hey, this has been great. Uh, where can people find out more about you online? Well, uh, connect me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on GitHub. I've, I've thrown a few, uh, started to throw some code pieces on, on GitHub. You know, I run uh, CTO Slackers, uh, which you're a part of, uh, but that's kind of more for folks uh, in later stages of their life. Once, uh, in a few uh, years. <laughs> in a few years. Or, uh, that's, you know, we do have a, a bunch of senior engineering managers and yeah. CTOs listen to this. So if you're yeah, not so a part a, of it yet. Yeah, yeah, a quick, quick plug on CTO Slackers. I started it four years ago, just invited a few of my, you know, former colleagues like the Joseph Essas and and and, and a CTO of OpenTable, Live Nation, Ticketmaster. Ed Edmonds, 
uh, uh, you know, all the, the big who's who of uh, CTOs of internet companies here in LA. Um, now we've grown to almost a thousand and uh, it's a great community in that even as a senior uh, engineering lead uh, or a technology lead, uh, you're still learning from each other. And there's actually harder to learn from each other as a CTO. You, it's, it's, a, it's actually quite lonely to be CTO because you're the only chief, you know, uh, a technologist in, in, in the C uh, uh, office or a C table. So you really don't have chance on a day-to-day -day basis to talk to uh, other chief, you know, you're not going to talk to your CFO about the best design patterns, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't really have peers <laughs> within the organization. So, yeah. so, so that's what that is kind of the impetus behind this. And now we have this great organization where there's actually resources and, and community and support for uh, other CTOs. Yeah, uh, so I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yep. And likewise, uh, it, was, it was fun. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Recruiting at tech events can be one of the best ways to find and hire senior software engineers. Unfortunately, it's easy to make simple mistakes and wind up with no leads. Grab my free 12-point recruiting checklist to maximize your sponsorship investment at superstruct.tech slash event dash recruiting dash checklist.